Hello once again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Road to Indie Insider Podcast. My name is Rob Howden, uh, and I've got a, a solid guest. First time uh, we've decided to do kind of a race report, wrap-up debrief deal uh, on one of the recent Mazda Road to Indie events, and I'm joined by Tony DeZino, a contributing editor of Trackside Online and TSO Ladder, of course, uh, one of the most respected journalists in the sport, uh, has been around for a number of years, covers, uh, you know what, over his career has covered everything from IndyCar to sports cars to the, to the ladder system. So if there's a guy who's been following young people up the ranks, whether they branch off or what they do, it's Tony. Uh, first off, Tony, thank you so much for joining me on the on the uh, the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, Rob. I mean, you and I have get the opportunity to talk a lot on the race weekends. We rarely get the opportunity to talk offline off off the race weekends. <laughs> Usually, if we do, it's just like okay, we're getting caught up on work and everything that we need to do to prep for the next race weekend. So, uh, yeah, I mean, wow, I I just I don't know about you, but I have so much to to go over from this past weekend. So it's great to have you on. Yeah, you know what? It's wild, isn't it? There's just uh, there's so much stuff to talk about. We, you and I, could probably dabble with some IndyCar if we want. Talk a little bit about the 500. Although the podcast, of course, focused on the Mazda Road to Indy presented by Cooper Tires. But even in those three ladder system programs, which was primarily one of your focuses throughout the weekend, really a lot of storylines, uh, a lot of development in terms of the championship chase. Some drivers performed very well. Some other drivers had some issues. Uh, but first and foremost, Tony really is number one, the big stage for the drivers in Indy lights, just that spotlight event. And then a very crucial race, in my opinion, uh, for drivers coming up the ranks, the Carbonite classic, where they gain the experience of running at Lucas Oil Raceway. Yep. Uh, Friday carb day is one of the most intense, busy days of the year. And the reason for that is, you know, you're trying to battle all the people at the speedway, but at the same time, you've got the freedom going on, which this year we've seen how intense this race has been over really the lifespan and particularly the last five to six years, probably since the Peter Dempsey four wide win a few years ago, back in 2013, this year we had the whole field basically in contention save for one (laughs) or two cars. And, and it's like, you know, I was so, you know, our our mutual colleague, Jeremy Shaw, who, you know, does the, the lap charts and a lot of other support. I'm trying to follow the lap charts for, for this race. And I look back at the lights lap chart for the freedom 100 and I'm thinking, man, that was, that was a doozy. And, And then for the, the Lucas Oil Raceway event, you know, that came back after a year off the schedule. And, and as I'm sure we'll get to, that was a very key, very important event to, for really all those young drivers. The really interesting thing about the Indy Lights race, of course, was uh, I was in the booth with uh, for IndyCar Radio with Mark James alongside Donald Davison. And the first thing that happened over the first, not even half of the race, Donald was already counting up the, la- the, the lead changes at the line, not passes, but actual lead changes. And he was jumping in there saying, you know, we're halfway through and we're already almost to the record number of lead changes in the race. And, you know, I, Tony, we can talk about it a little bit once we actually get into the meat of the uh, meat of the actual race report itself. But this, the simple fact that the series made a little bit of adjustment, the engine manufacturers, or the, the builders, AER, made some adjustments to the, the engine map that kind of brought everybody back together. But the one thing I told everybody, and they said, wow, you know, this race could be a snoozer, only eight cars. And I said, there was four cars in that four wide finish. If there was just four cars on the racetrack and they raced like that for the entire 40 laps, we'd have a great race. And, and, and that's what we had, Tony. And, and, right? and, and, 80, 
Yeah, and, no, 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 and they did, and that's just it. Is I mean, I, I think we were both talking to guys after the test session on Monday, and the test session on Monday was kind of the first eye-opening. You know, this was nuts in the, the early morning phase because you had rain coming later in that afternoon, so it was a very crucial session to get get your cars dialed in. And I tell, I remember I talked to Santi Arudi on uh, on Monday, and Santi was like, "Yeah, you could get four or five position changes per lap," and he wasn't joking with that because <laughs> it's like you're going back and forth, and it was just. Uh, Again, it was it was fascinating to see who would who would put their car in the right position at the right time, and you know you saw as the race evolved that was kind of the the ultimate point was was where did you want to be and how did you want to position yourself as we got closer to the finish. And, and you could see that they were getting pretty aggressive and pretty brave in terms of where they were going to run. And I think with the slightly different uh, engine map, which I think if I'm if I'm if I'm correct, kind of dialed down the torque a little bit in the higher part of the uh, the rev band, uh, they, they were very comfortable to go outside of the groove. And that's one of the things that when the race first got underway and we had a couple of laps get going. I was watching where these guys were charging in on. We would eventually see Alexander Rossi run that high line as well and and with with good success. But man, they were fully four wheels off the what is the darker racing groove making runs around the outside. I thought just the way that race unfolded early so we could see how the storylines were going to uh, kind of roll out. I was I was actually caught off guard by how high they were running into one and into three. Yeah, for no doubt, and I think that's always been kind of a hallmark of the Freedom One Hundred. The Cooper Tires guys are able to run that second groove a lot easier in this race. It's rare that you're able to pull it off in the IndyCar race. But the fact that what I was surprised by is these are a lot of guys that don't necessarily have race experience. You know, you look up, up front. Only Dalton Kellett of the Andretti team had completed more than one lap in this race going into it. So, which is like you don't think about, but it's like this is the first big oval test for for a lot of these guys, and that there was no fear very early on, and and there couldn't be because if you if you didn't push, you were going to fall back, and you fall back pretty quickly. That's a very very good point. Lots of insight there, because if you think about it, of course, Pato Award for Andretti Autosport, his first time ever in the Freedom One Hundred, both. Colton Herta and Ryan Norman getting taken out in the opening lap last year in the Freedom after contact between Herta and Kellett. Herta goes backwards into the wall and Norman has nowhere to go. So you're right. When it came to Andretti, the only guy with race experience was actually Dalton Kellett, who I thought did a, a tremendous job. Now, let's let's set this up first. Again, speaking here with Tony DeZino, uh, contributing editor for Trackside Online and TSO Ladder. Again, great to have Tony with us here on our first race report slash debrief the yet-to-be-named podcast segment of the Road to Indy Insider. You know, Tony, you talked at the start about how chaotic Carb Day is. Everybody's there. There's 100,000 people. And you get these racers who have won a lot of, lot of events, and they've come up through the ranks, and they've been at major karting events. But every one of them was taken aback, I think, by the just the excitement and maybe the little nerves they had going into the freedom. I think that with Carb Day and everything that's happening, you could see it weighing on a couple of the drivers. I think the emotions are super high going into that race because for some guys, you don't know if you're going to have that opportunity to race on Sunday. However, if you win on the Freedom 100, you've got a very good chance of positioning yourself that way. And and as you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll get to later, there were more points on the line this year too because there was a, a change within the Anderson promotion yeah. system for all three, all three series where the oval race has 50% more points. So now not only if you're winning, you're getting the glory of winning in front of the biggest crowd you'll get all year, live TV in addition to all the other platforms the series airs on. 
but you also are positioning yourself better potentially for the the championship situation. And we haven't had as many Freedom 100 winners go on to win the championship in recent years. I know Gabby Chavez did that a few years ago. I'm trying to think whether it's been there have been others, but. It, Joseph Newgarden's another good example. This is a big opportunity for these guys, and you could tell the faces were a little, little more game face than normal on race morning. I think they were also thinking a little bit about the fact that the, indeed there was going to be a little different engine performance, and they, I think they knew we're going to be on a big stage, we're going to have the spotlight, everybody's going to be watching, and we're going to be pack racing because the way that, that everything was going to set up, we knew that it was going to be a forty lap dice. Now we end up with a record number of lead changes. Five different drivers able to lead. Dalton Kellett, Colton Herta, Santia Rutia, Pato Award, and Victor Franzoni as well. Let's just talk about the race itself, Tony, just a little bit. Uh, there was there was obviously some highlights, some excitement, some great passes. We did see one could have been could have been nasty when Santia Rutia came out of, I believe it was four, and got a little loose. Franzoni had a great run and he had to check up, dive to the left. That could have been big. And I think could have changed the way the entire race, the whole complexion of the event. I think it was a whole, the whole first three, four laps were hold your breath moments. <laughs> they were, I, think. They were. I, I went, I went through, I went through the lap chart a little later on, and there were only I think seven laps the entire race where there wasn't a change of position at least at some point in the field because as all the lead changes as Colton was moving to the front up from sixth on the grid, Victor moved up early. Um, neither of the Bellardi cars made huge strides, which was a bit surprising. Although Santi kind of made his way forward a little later into the race, you started to have comers and goers very quickly and, and you kind of just started to see where you wanted to position yourself. But uh, yeah, it was only about lap 15, 20 ish by the halfway point. Okay. Now we can start settling down for a bit, you know, and catch your breath and then re recalibrate for the final five. Five to 10 laps that kind of was was some of the input i got from a lot of the guys that i talked to before the race when they had said hey you know what we're going to use the first 20 laps or so to get a feel for the race get a feel for the the pulse of it uh, you know go to work kind of researching where you're better than the other guys on track where you can make passes it, it ended up coming down to as as you know really essentially four four I, we could throw ryan norman and say five guys potentially in the fight at the end because ryan <clears throat> did catch up as when they started fighting Victor Franzoni was in there, but again, he had an issue. He uh, a tire pressure issue. He had to come off. Davy Hamilton had a moment at one point, and I think decided, you know what, I'll back off a bit, and he lost the draft. Poor Aaron Tielitz didn't have six here. Yes, just hammering around within arm's reach, but just with the the gearbox issue, not able to get into the fray. I feel I feel so bad for him because you'd be just sitting back there. You know, when they were racing side by side like that, he was just saying, "I would be there." Let me grab six. I'll be there, right? I, I spoke to Aaron after the race at Lucas Oil Raceway later, and, and he is driver coach Steve Welk and I had, had had a dinner earlier in the week, and we were just thinking to ourselves, okay, we've, we know this is, this is your opportunity to get back in the championship despite everything else you've been through this year. If you have one good result at the Freedom 100, and A, it was trending in the right direction, fourth, third, and second in the yeah. last three races and at Indianapolis itself. Um, they had a great balanced car. They just didn't have that, that – last bit of gearing that he needed and so Aaron's like well you know par for the course for the year you know just Aaron being Aaron managed to smile it off even if I know internally he was pretty frustrated well there's two things that he's going to have in the back of his at least back of his mind first and foremost going in was the fact that you had mentioned it's 45 points uh, for the race win 38 points for second essentially points and a half uh, for the oval races uh, for Indy Lights this year that would have been a seven point swing had Aaron been able to win he would have clawed up seven points and I think we've all kind of did that maths and here's how he needs to claw points up. But for Aaron too, now he looks forward to potentially trying to do something that he did back in 
in 2016 when he was able to come back on Pato Award, who came out to such a great start to the Pro Mazda Championship when he got to Road America. And I think, yep. you know, Aaron's just probably saying, you know what, just get me home. You know, I'll have a spotted cow on Wednesday night. I'll go to work on the weekend and see if I can't uh, see if I can't win two races and get myself back in the fight. The the points aren't an issue for him to overcome. The problem is he has every one of his competitors to overcome too. He only had one driver to catch there. Now he's got to catch six. So um, one of the things that's really interesting from here on out is there is so little gap between any of the drivers that you know poor victor right he's finished top four or five every event this season with you know got on the podium at the indy road course but with an eighth place it doesn't seem like it's a bad result but here you've lost points to everyone else so um if you're off the podium this year that's that's what's really hurting you and unfortunately that's that's probably the challenge aaron has going forward that being said he can play spoiler down yeah, the road that, no. that, that could and there's nothing to lose really true enough and always make it a name for yourself winning a couple of races down the stretch now Let's jump into the last couple of laps. The, you know, the you go lap, what, 21 to 32, kind of thing, 33. That's the chess match. You're, you're, you're getting a feel for everybody. You're going to work. Those last 10 laps, that's when everybody's trying to figure out where they need to be. And, I, I, you know, I mentioned on the radio network broadcast that when if you're running fourth, you're not happy because you maybe want to be in second or third. I think everybody at that point, taking those laps to feel where they could come from. Can you come from fourth? Can you make the move like Peter Dempsey did, but they need to go three wide in front of you. Everybody, I think, was really going to school, trying to determine where they needed to be based on the car that they had. I think the best position you wanted to be was second. Yep. And I think you wanted to talk to, if you talk to a couple of guys after the race, I talked to Colton Hurd, I talked to Pato Award. They were both, it was almost they were playing off each other because they knew they didn't want to be leading too soon because you wanted to be in second to make the move going into one on the last lap because at that point, you've got a better chance to break someone's air behind you and then hope that you can hold them off that they don't get a run out of four on the last lap. I think that's become kind of a, a common trait now is you know you don't want to leave the pass till the absolute last minute with the way this race was shaping out you wanted to make your move early either on the front straight into one or at the very least coming off of four you know in the end we'll go back and look at race reports and it'll say hey colton herda fantastic job wins by you know just a you know, really close race to the finish again but you go back two corners and for me that it, that was the, the turning point of the entire race i think we would have had an even closer finish and maybe a different winner as they went into turn number three colton led pato award was second Santi rutia was, of course, right there, as was Dalton Kellett. And it seemed to me, and I, and I haven't really looked deeply, deeply into the video because we were so busy at the 500, but it looked like Sa I mean, it looked like uh, Pato might have got a little too low, potentially into the curb a bit, because when he came through turn number three, and I know you'll back me up and give me some more insight, he shot way up the racetrack, and it seemed to me like, like Yeruti and Kellett kind of needed to get out of it a little bit. He did. Pato told me after the race that he lost too much momentum through three there on the last lap. And so he had to catch it back up in, into four. And so he, he wasn't able to slingshot as close as he would have liked to coming out of four. He got close, but he wasn't close enough. It's like you look at that margin of victory we just said. Oh, it's .0281 <laughs> of a second. You know? yeah. That's close. Yeah, except that that's like two hundredths more than the last three green finishes combined. You know, we're yeah. used to two ten thousandths of a second, the Stoneman Ed Jones one or the Gabby Brabs and and the uh, the Dempsey one a few years ago. So this was this was a relative mile by photo finishing uh, comparisons. And I I honestly believe if Pato didn't have that little issue, I think we would have seen another ridiculously close finish coming down the line because Santi and, and and Dalton both looked very good. I just think that just checked everybody up behind him. And even though 
Pato was still able to make that run. Of course, it's a long haul down from turn four all the way uh, to start finish, especially with the draft, especially with the lack of that top end torque with the updated uh, engine map that the drivers uh, were given. Man, I think it could have been even closer. But in the end, let's talk now about Colton Herta. He ends up sweeping the month of May, wins both races at the GP, uh, pulls into victory lane for the Freedom 100. Uh, you know, for a young guy like Colton, uh, who gets can get down on himself when he makes some mistakes, really kind of an error-free month, which gives him confidence and momentum, those two ridiculously powerful vehicles for young drivers. And and for Colton, I think he looked at this May as this was going to be a, a championship potential month. Because if you look at last year, he had such a such a perfect start to the year with the, the two wins from his first four races at St. Pete and Barber. And then it just all came crashing down in May. He had the crash uh, on the first lap of the Freedom 100 we mentioned earlier. He had a couple issues during the road course race. Here, he was faced with adversity at the road course race. Again, he overcame it on both instances. Granted, there was some, some contact on his way to the front, but all of them were forceful, determined passes. Uh, when he's in the right mindset, he's very hard to beat. And now when you saw how smart he raced in this instance, I thought, you know, he, he saved his tires more than he probably thought he did. He's just like, I said, well, hey, did you save your tires, right? No, I didn't. Well, it looked like he did because you had enough to make those moves late that you still had enough, enough there and hadn't burned them off. Um, to have all three wins in one month, both tracks, um, not get down, not let any of the adversity affect him. Uh, very, very positive momentum month for him. Uh, that I think, and I think we'll get to as the rest of this goes on, will will help him for the uh, end of the season. Yeah, I agree. I just, you know, we just we see it all the way through the road to Indy. Once you've won a couple of races, you know you can win a lot more. And and heading to Road America, I think uh, I, I I don't think that by any means any of the other drivers are going to be uh, negatively affected by the fact he's won some races. Uh, maybe even the other way around. Maybe they're going to be more motivated to see if they can't do the same thing and steal the the baton away. And we know guys like uh, Pato Award or Santi Rutier and Tilitz, if they got to get the elbows up when we get to Elkhart Lake, uh, it could be interesting because that track just races so well. And uh, bottom line is Colton Herta, uh, you know, a big win overall, uh, Tony, as well, because I think one of the things that you and I and everybody watches, when you get a, when you get a second-generation driver doing well, even the more mainstream IndyCar media guys jump on it. Yes. You know, I think yes. you know there would have been Pato, Pato won or Santi won. You know, we would have got good press, and that would have been great. But you get a guy like Colton winning, and everybody's jumping on board, and that just gives more exposure for the series. But but even more for Colton, I think. The best congratulations I saw was actually from the New York Yankees itself, who congratulated yeah. the Steinbrenner Racing team on social media on Twitter, and I was like, "Dang, this is all right. This is this is not good. This is not a bad thing at all to see yeah. uh, see him getting getting." pushed to, to that i mean and, you know you and i were both trying to get to lucas oil raceway afterwards and, and colton had to get out of the media center for half an hour because it's a big media center there for our, our listeners you know it's it's this giant room that spans you know a good percentage of the of the pit lane in front straight there and there was a lot more people that were coming into the freedom 100 press conference area because I, I think people want to get on the train early with him um and and I don't blame them for that, but you know it's just like okay, you know just make sure make sure you keep paying attention once we get out of the freedom. You know that's uh, that's that's kind that's of right. that's you know that's, <laughs> so let's get to Road America and some and Iowa and some of the other ones, and we'll go from there. I agree. So let's have a look again. Colton Herta with the win, uh, a whopping zero point zero two eight one seconds. As Tony had said, not the uh, thousands of a second that we've seen before, but nonetheless a thrilling race. 
Pato Award, uh, top rookie driver for Andretti Autosport. He ends up second. Dalton Kellett third uh, for an Andretti sweep of the podium. Uh, let's move now over to Lucas Oil Raceway. Uh, Tony, you mentioned that. We got out of there from the Freedom, uh, uh, bolted up Crawfordsville Road to Lucas Oil Raceway up in Claremont for the Carb Night Classic. I, I was really glad to see it back on the schedule because I think, number one, I like to have both USF 2000 and Pro Mazda involved in the month of May and the Memorial Day weekend. Last year, Pro Mazda moved to, uh, to, to Gateway. USF 2000 ran in Iowa. I like him at Lucas Oil Raceway, and mainly because I think the track, the 5 8th mile, is a better suit for the young drivers in USF 2000. Is that something that you would agree with, or do you have other thoughts? I, I think there is a, a rustic nature to Lucas Oil Raceway. Uh, that uh, You know what it reminds me of? It, it reminds me of being like a talent scout at a high school football game. And the reason I yeah. and then the reason I say that is I've been going to that event now six seven years and I think back to some of the duels and moments that have happened at that track on either the Saturday night it was it was Saturday afternoon one year and now Friday night um, I go back to the famous Spencer Piggott Matty Brabham battle in the USF yes. with Cape a few years ago that was just great and then the big thing for me going into this year was. Parker Thompson at this race a couple years ago in USF 2000 got balked by a slower car, didn't know how to handle it, lost the race. And Parker, we both know him. We both know how excited he is. We both know how he will usually turn a po- you know, a negative into a positive. He was just deflated that night because I remember Anthony Martin won and it just set him on this momentum. So I was so happy to see, okay, this is such a good test of how you handle traffic, how you handle adversity, how you handle an awkward schedule because it's a late afternoon you know, there's no IndyCar presence. There's no other rubber except for, you know, uh, short oval kind of, you know, silver crown rubber, which is a different than what they deal with all year. It's mm-hmm. such a learning experience for these guys that, uh, and, and when you go back there, it, it's such a nice contrast from the speedway where you're dodging beer cans and people and, you know, all the things that make carb day great. So I was, uh, long story short, yes, I was happy to be back there. You know, and, and the track my, itself, and I just, I like the fact that it challenges them. Because I think uh, I, Iowa did obviously as well. Iowa was pretty sketchy for the USF 2000 drivers. And I think Gateway is a great category as our track as well for, uh, for Pro Mazda. But to have everybody on that, I, I just like the idea of the tight bull ring. Because I think it really just pressures these kids. They got to run up against the wall and they're not used to that. That's for sure. Uh, I think with the new cars, that was I think the interest, most interesting thing too was the fact that last time we were here, we had the old race cars. We were running the old Van Diemen. We were running the old Elan Pro Formula uh, Mazda. The new USF 17 out there this time. Of course, the Titus uh, PM18 making its debut. I wasn't sure how they, you know, knowing how much torque that thing has, and just how fast the car was, I was really interested to see how Pro Mazda ran. And I'm going to tell you, I was pretty impressed. The field shrinking to 12. We, we always know we're going to lose two, three, four guys for for the oval races, guys that may not want to sample the oval quite yet, because if you do have an, an off, you're in the wall. It's usually pretty high damage and fairly expensive, but you have to learn how to run on an oval. I thought the Pro Mazda guys did a fantastic job, uh, Tony. The The speeds were there. Uh, we watched guys we expected kind of come to the forefront, but we actually had not not in front, not with Parker or Carlos, but we had some side-by-side racing that really kind of, kind of changed up the – both the championship, 
but also added some, I think, what's going to be some rivalries down the line because there was no love lost between Harrison Scott and David Malukas with their contact in turn four. No, and and uh, it's funny. Uh, there was some a little bit of, not consternation, but a, a, a bit of confusion over what happened at the start of the road course race, the second Pro Mazda race there, where between Renus VK and Rob McGinnis both having issues on the first lap and kind of a, a difficult camera angle to pick up where where it was all happening, there was actually had been contact between Malukas and Harrison Scott at the start of the road course race. So they have now yes, made contact was. in two consecutive races. And this one, it's like, so I'm watching in the media center there, and you know they're battling over, I think, fourth place. And Harrison, this is his first ever oval race. This is that team, RP Motorsport Racing's first ever oval race. I talked to Harrison before the event. He was just like, yeah, we have no idea what we're doing, which is great. <laughs> we are learning in the process. And, you know, this ain't Brands Hatch anymore, you know, kind of those things. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, you, you get how to race in the road course in the rain, but running on an oval, a flat, you know, rub it against the wall. The fact Scott pushed Malukas into, you know, losing the position in the first place was was really good racecraft on his part. And then Malukas, knowing that we know that he's not, he's pretty aggressive and, you know, doesn't hold back when the opportunity's there. I'm just watching him like, this isn't going to end well. And so I'm, I'm you know, talking to myself as it happens. And then it's like, oh, there's Malukas going, oh, and he's into him. So it's just coming into three and four. It's just, you could see it's, it, you could see it building. Yeah. You could yeah. just see it building. And, and then when it happened, it was, it was not a surprise in, in any way, shape or form. You don't you don't see near as much of it coming out of turn number two. I think it kind of opens up a little wider on the exit of that corner. It's more of an arcing back straightaway. But you'll always see guys coming out of four, and it's almost like they're always running out of room. You know that that because because you have to tighten up the wheel. I think a bit more at the exit. You got to just feed a little more into it. And when you're side by side like that, you just drift up. And it was just that old school right front to left rear contact. Both drivers end up in the wall. Scott goes in backwards. Of course, Maluka's dragging all the way down the front straightaway, ripping the right front and right rear off the car. Uh, just really an, an old school uh, open wheel coming out of turn four, racing hard incident. But uh, Harrison not pleased at all. Uh, David stayed in the car the entire time as the uh, as the crew came over, the, the safety crew to get him on, on uh, off the racetrack and up on the back of the tow truck. Moving forward, th- th- these are two drivers that can win the championship. But, you know, I know we're still early, Tony, but that particular incident putting them 11th and 12th while point leader Parker Thompson runs away to a victory, that hurts going to the midway part of the, the season. And and for Harrison in particular, he is he's definitely developing into a feast or famine results type situation where he's got two wins in yeah. a second and then he's got three 12s. So, you yeah. know, when you're down, he's down 81 points, which is not impossible to come back from with, what do we have, I think eight, nine races left, something like that. But those are those are hurts where this is a month of opportunity in May, having the two road course races in the Oval. And if you could capitalize on this month, um, you were able to put yourself in a better position. Unfortunately for Harrison, who looked very much a championship contender. Same with Malukas, who's been fast all year, but just, again, a little inconsistent. I mean, they're only one point different in fifth and sixth, but uh, they're a little ways off. So uh, this, is, this is what they're learning. This is the racecraft challenge. This is the consistency challenge i mean these are all elements that you have to learn which is which is part of the fun process and why this is so much fun to watch and and to cover speak with tony dezino from trackside online and tso ladder the contributing editor from the uh from the website and the email service uh you know one of the things tony i think that uh is really impressive right now in, in pro mazda 
And we see it happen. And sometimes when they click, it's just ridiculously impressive. There is just a really good connection right now between Parker Thompson and his engineer, Tim Lewis. Um, Tim's a veteran in the sport. He knows his stuff. Parker trusts him, which I think is key. Uh, in, in talking about the the final practice session, I believe it was Thursday afternoon, Parker wasn't quite sure where to go. Of course, you know, he's never driven the Pro Mazda on that track. Uh, he's done well, of course, in USF 2000, but with the older car. And I think he just kind of gave that last session to Tim and said, what do you want to do? You know, do something, I'll drive it. And they have that connection right now, that that trust level, the confidence in, in, in each other and the confidence in what they're doing on the racetrack. That's a pretty, pretty potent little duo right now. Tony, would you agree? Oh, completely. And with, with Parker, he made the point multiple times during the weekend that just because you have track experience there does not necessarily help you with this new car at the, in this new you know, new series, new competitors you're racing against, everything else. It's starting from scratch. And so he was saying, I can't go down a rabbit hole with anything that I may have learned in the past. So I'm just going to trust him, let him do his thing, you know, throw it and see if it works. And he's, he's relied on Tim for at least two to three races this year where he's just like, look, man, I, here's where we're at. Here's where we need to go with this. And I, I have all the faith that you'll put it together. And, you know, for not being happy with where they were in traffic they were hooked up and you know they put the qualifying lap down on the board put themselves in position at the start and you know track position is king at, at the oval races because you don't want to you don't want to be too back too far back in traffic to need to make it up because you're going to have to be in traffic through through the rest of the race true now parker i mean he's holding it tight but i, I i'm trying to get him to let me see his in car from the from qualifying because I'm told it was a bit of a handful. I think I think he was running on the ragged edge. Uh, he told me he'd let me see it later on, but I think he had a handful of wheel uh, keeping that thing where it needed to be. But that's what you have to do in a, a series of this level. And as that race got on, I think Parker was working his way through lap traffic. As we know, only five drivers ended up on the lead lap. Late in the race, they were getting by Lodovico Lorini. They were had to get by actually Oliver Askew late in the race as well. That's a uh, that sentence le- I don't. That's a sentence I don't think we would have ever said before. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they were you know, with with Oliver. They were good out of the box, top three, but just struggled a little bit in qualifying. And and you know sometimes the setup can kind of go awry. And I just like you said, maybe they went down the wrong road. Uh, and you had mentioned that. But the bottom line is, is that you mentioned at the, at the top of this Pro Mazda segment, Tony, was we watched Parker Thompson lose a race win at Lucas Oil Raceway a couple of years ago to his teammate because of lap traffic, because of getting balked. Uh, Carlos Cunha was coming big time in the last couple of laps, but you could see Parker taking that experience and saying no way, because he drove so deep down the inside. I think it was Oliver. He was just, he was going by, and he went to the bottom, let the car drift back to the top, but it was an aggressive move, which with these cars and, and that much performance, the amount of entry speed he brought into turn one, that particular lap, to clear ask you i think he obviously rolled the dice because he wanted to get through yeah the power on these new pro mazda cars and what elite engines has, has done for them is, is pretty staggering so to have the confidence to be able to throw it as you say as, as far down getting by oliver was was the key because he was then balked by Lorini again i felt like i was you know when i was writing the race report you know kind of during the race because you don't really have time to, to do it after the race because <laughs> you, the, the you know the usf race was first the pro mazda race was second but i'm still writing it like i don't know how many times i've written stuck behind Lorini trying to get by Lorini, and he, he is 
has every right to be defending if he's on his lead lap. Now, if he's more than one down, yes, get out of the way. But that being said, you know, it was not easy to get by, you know, for, for a lot of the laps. And he almost lost it there because we're, we're coming two to go and he's by Askew and he's clear there. But then he gets balked again and, and Kuna's got a major head of steam coming up. But he came up, it was only two tenths short at the end, which it wasn't really ever that close. But when you see the final margin of victory, you think, dang, if there's two or three more laps, that could have been another one. I don't disagree with you. And I actually sat in on the, on the driver's meeting and Pro Mazda race director Johnny Unser told every driver, if you are still on the lead lap, you do not have to give it up. You can race, you know, hold your spot, race hard. I'm not going to fight you if you're not going to let the leader by if you're on the lead lap. If you're already down one lap, you know, go to run your line, get off a little early, whatever you want to, whatever you want to do. But if you're racing on the lead lap, stick with it. But Again, that's what Lodovico Larini did. He and did a great job for a guy who's never been on an oval before. For a team that didn't have an oval setup, I think that they uh, RP Motorsports Racing performed very well. Very well. Larini, yeah. Yeah. Larini ends up in seventh. And if you look at lap times, Harrison Scott was right there. He was just as quick as McGinnis. He was quicker than VK. He was quicker than Stingray Rob. He was right there in terms of speed. So this RP Motorsports team is a, is a squad I think we're going to see more of before the end of this year. Oh, no doubt. I think that they needed to get through that first event just from a confidence standpoint to to be like, we know we can compete with guys that have been doing this for six, seven years. In Yunko's case, you know, they've won countless races on ovals. Exclusives clearly getting there now that Parker's got their first win. I mean, I look at where they were in USF and Iowa last year. They weren't quite to the level that, that they were on the Pro Mazda car. So that goes back to the Tim Lewis point earlier. That goes back to just the whole overall preparation for Michael Duncalf and that team. Um, and, and essentially, you know, not there, there's, you know, it's a two car lineup. Saravale did a decent job too. He stayed out of trouble, yep. brought it home solid, which is more than can be said for a lot of other guys. So it, they're only going to get better as, as time goes on. So if you're, if they're already getting back to RP, if they're that in it this early, then they've got nowhere to go, but up. And now we're going to go to a track that's more like something they're used to at road America. So I expect them to be right out there. I expect, uh, uh, Harrison Scott to be right in the fight once again. Parker Thompson with the win, uh, two-tenths of a second over Carlos Cunha and Robert McGinnis as Junkos Racing finishes second, third, and fourth. Pretty good run for that team. That's the Freedom 90. Now, Tony, let's move into the Freedom 75 for the Cooper Tires USF 2000 Championship uh, powered by Mazda. 21 drivers answered the call. I was happy to see a, a really good field of drivers for this one. Uh, in the end, though, it's kind of the juggernaut of Cape Motorsports doing it again. Uh, rolling in with Kyle Kirkwood, who is just an unbelievably talented young driver, kind of following right in the footsteps of his good friend, uh, Oliver Askew. Uh, Kyle was strong, just really didn't put a wheel wrong all weekend. Just a, a rare we had – we didn't have a dominant performance in the other two series. I mean, Parker, yes, it was a pull-to-win type thing, but it was never a runaway. This kind of felt like this was always Kirkwood's weekend from start to finish. You know, weighed the pull down on the last lap of qualifying. Paps is like, oh, we've got a decent – no, we don't. So, you know, and then Kyle came through and just eh, coupled with what happened a little bit further back in the field, it's really, really become a – a rare runaway uh, in what is otherwise a very deep and very tight USF 2000 field where there's probably 15, 20 other cars within, you know, handful of points, handful of tenths. It's uh, it's impressive that in two different cars, um, and again, Cape hasn't run this car at this track either because, you know, you have all these old setups that worked, sure, but now to be able to translate that again and still stay on top, uh, that shows you the quality of operation those guys have. 
Well, I know that they did have Matthew Brabham doing some testing last year in the USF 17 on the ovals. So he was able to give him a little bit of input. But, you know, you talk about the championship battle with with uh, or lack thereof uh, with Kyle Kirkwood kind of pulling away nicely now. But really the championship and, and what could have been, well, I'm not going to say it's not still, but what could have been really solid moving to Road America took a big hit when Alex Barron uh, got into it with one of the, uh, the the slower cars. He was trying to come around, I believe, the lap Russell McDonough. Contact over in turn number three really damaged that that Swan RJB car pretty aggressively. But man, what a hit to Baron, who was really right there in the middle of the points fight. Even second place would have been good for him. Yeah, you, you hate to see it, and and that's just yeah. something where we know what Baron's gone through to to even still be here in the U.S. this year. And and we both kind of talked it at the NDGP weekend. He was really close to missing that weekend with a, a visa situation. Yeah. So. Um, it also, the fact that, okay, he's done three ovals in his career, but he's done the Indianapolis Motor Speedway first in Indy Lights, which is completely the pa- completely backwards, <laughs> then Iowa and USF 2000 last year for, for arms up, and now the Swan RJB deal. I think it's just inexperience, which is it's weird to say because, you know, Kirkwood's also new, but at that point in the race – you got to be cautious sometimes with with additional slower traffic, and it's a shame for him because it's a it's a second twentieth or worst place finish this year. It takes him over fifty points back in the championship picture. Surprising impatience to me. I I, I was I don't know if he just figured he needed to win or what it may have been. Uh, I didn't I, I didn't see it. I haven't seen any in car yet either, so I'm not going to lay any blame either way right. how it happened because I haven't seen it yet. So we'll we'll leave it at that. The the damage done for sure though for Alex Barron. I want to move back to positives because there's a couple drivers who I was really, really impressed with. Uh, and I think because maybe they blended with the team correctly, it really came out strong. Uh, first and foremost, Rasmus Lind for, uh, for Pabst Racing. Here's a guy that had an incident. I, I'm not sure if he actually got in the wall or just spun in turn number two on practice on Thursday. The kid comes back, qualifies extremely well, P2, and then runs there for the majority of the race. For Rasmuth, a young kid out of Sweden who has zero oval experience as well, just some unbelievably high karting race, uh, karting experience at, at the CIK World Championships. The kid was amazing. And Pabst actually obviously had a really good setup as well. But man, Rasmuth just kind of led that team for a majority of that race. Yeah, that's a very good point because the other three guys have all had at least one oval race under their belt and Kalen Frederick, Calvin Ming, Lucas Cole. Rasmus is the complete newcomer. He was in Indianapolis all month. I think he hung out a bit with the Schmidt team. So uh, he was probably spent a lot of time just, even if he wasn't on track, just learning the nuances and kind of figuring out how to race. He's somebody that he could very well be a first, uh, first time winner later this year, because we, we know the quality of the team that Paps runs. And if he's that good out of the box on a novel, a track that he has, again, no experience on, he's gaining his confidence. He's getting into results rhythm uh, after a couple tough races to start his career. You know, this is a guy that, could very easily be second, third in the points before the year's over with. I agree. And, that, and of course, now he goes to Road America, a track where Augie Paps and Tonus Kasimitz have been a few times, a couple of yeah. times. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Probably like 75, 80. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, did we go triple digits? I don't know. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, it was the other, well, there's two more I want to hit on, and I'll let to see if you have some input as well. Caleb Frederick's attack over the last couple of laps was, in my mind, I think could be a turning point for him. He's had some issues throughout the start of the year. I think knowing how good he was last year with the podiums that he was able to uh, to bring in with Team Pelfrey, I think he probably figured he was going to uh, roll off the trailer to start 2018 as the primary title challenger. 
that didn't happen. He had some issues at St. Petersburg. You know, he had some trouble at Barber to a certain extent. Uh, but for him to make those moves, he made some really aggressive moves at the end of that race that I thought were just massively important in getting him his confidence back. Forceful passing for sure. I think Kalen hasn't lacked for for that ability this year. He made a really good run at the NDGP. He was up from 12th to 2nd, and then he got got contact from behind from, uh, I think it was Jamie Caroline, but I'm not going to double-check on that. A- anyway, he's somebody really needed a result. His start to the, the USF year this year reminds me a lot of Rob McGinnis's last year where they had such a good rookie season, but then they really struggled to maintain the momentum uh, in the start of the second year when I thought they'd be in kind of, you know, if not championship contention, certainly consistent podiums. Uh, so this this is, could be a, a momentum turner for him. And it's easy to forget he's only 16. Yeah, you, right? It's yeah. like it's part of his third USF season already. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. And I'd, I'd said, Barbara, you're correct. It was in the Indy GP when he had that issue as well. But you're right. And I think comp- comparing it to McGinnis is is very good because there are some drivers, obviously, depending on how you're presented at the very start of the year, second year, you are going to respond to it. And I've said I've said this for many years, and I know it's a, it's a cliche, but you know, you learn more from your defeats than you do your successes. So I think that you know maybe we'll see what Kalen's made of. And again, only 16 years of age. You know, and you're right. I, I knew that, and you know, every once in a while you think, hey, this kid's so poised, and he was so good last year, but again, he's one of those guys that started at 15 years of age, like Mateus Solar Obel, who had uh, a pretty good run at the GP weekend. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes because we're so used to following these kids up the ranks that you, re- you forget that some of them are unbelievably young. That's for sure. Now, the other one I'm looking at, uh, Tony, and I know, I know you'll have input on that, is um, – you know, one of the solid teams in the in the program is Arms Up Motorsports. And Victor Franzoni ran with them last year, and he showed what that team was made of when they were able to win with their equipment, their squad, on the streets of Toronto. You know, Victor's a fantastic young driver. Nobody will ever uh, critique how, the, how good he is or is not. Like they just, they're going to agree with him that the kid's a natural talent. So he showed what Arms Up could do. Keith Donegan, with the scholarship from Mazda, won the $200,000 shootout out, out at Bondurant last year, has not got off to the best start, kind of getting into the groove. When it comes to oval racing, anybody who's been around uh, 5, 10, 15 years knows that John Walco is a heck of an engineer. Yes. And that guy, know, he knows how to make a car work around the oval. And I think that, I think with, obviously, Keith come, came into the season as a, a, a very experienced F1600 pilot, wins the scholarship, I'm going to follow in the footsteps of a guy like Askew. I'm going to win this championship. And then did not get out of the box well. Now, whether or not they didn't have the blend that they need, whether or not that he and John were connecting like Parker and Tim Lewis are, that we've talked about that, whether they may not have had that right blend, they weren't communicating correctly. You know, you know the, what's, the, what's the line? It's, it's hard to fill a cup that's already full. Um, if, Keith, if Keith came in saying hey, saying, hey, you know what, I know what to do here. I'm going to be good. They go to the Oval, and Keith's cup is empty, right? He's coming in there like, I have no idea what to do here. Tell me. And I think this could be that opportunity where Keith can say, hey, you know what? All right, I'm going to trust John Walco. He's not going to steer me wrong. They were good out of the box. He qualified well, and he runs to sixth position. I think this could be a turning point for Keith Donig. At least I hope it is for him. I, I hope so. Very, very much needed weekend for him. I'd, I'd spoken to him at uh, Indy GP weekend, and along with his countryman, James Rowe, uh, so another Irish kid. Uh, Rowe goes out, finishes top five on his debut or his second race with the second 20 RJB car. Keith was, was really struggling 
just couldn't get in a rhythm. Uh, the Arms Up team, I know, did some testing in advance of uh, of the Lucas Oil event. I know Aaron Tielitz, who we mentioned earlier, has been been helping them throughout. He's got a lot of experience both in the USF and Pro Mazda cars. And I think there was kind of a, if not a come to Jesus meeting, sort of a, hey, you're right. You know, Walco on an oval, they're like bread and butter. It just it just works. You know, it just goes together. And I think this was a weekend Keith needed to succeed in some regard to to get his own confidence up. And he, he definitely did that. He raced a lot better than I expected him to. I mean, he didn't, he was definitely tentative, but he didn't do anything stupid. I think it was just, you know, classic clean 50 some odd laps, bring it home. And uh, sixth place is a good result for them. Uh, of course, when that team heads, heads to road America in a couple weeks, yes, that is uh, that is another place where they should thrive to home race for the Sheboygan falls based uh, operation. Yeah. I agree with that. That's another place they can get to. And if they, if they can grab a hold of that momentum that they were able to uh, to be able to draw and the connection, the communication, we may see uh, Keith Donigan another top ten, potentially even racing top five or or looking for a podium. That's that's been kind of that that cornerstone race where we've seen a lot of drivers get their first podiums, whether it was uh, you know, Zachary Clayman DeMello or Lucas Cole, whoever it was. It's a great opportunity midway through the season at a track that's a little more wide open where you can use all that experience you've had coming through the ranks that you're able to kind of get out there and lay it all out. So I'm interested in seeing how things go when we get there. But the bottom line was a pretty good Memorial Day weekend for the Mazda Road to Indy at Lucas Oil Raceway and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, Tony, any other thoughts about the Road to Indy? Boy, it's uh, where to start. I mean, I think this was a <laughs> this was a really solid just overall month because between the six races at Indy Grand Prix weekend – all of which were dynamic in some way, shape, or form. A lot of action, pretty entertaining. A lot of good passes. A lot of, a lot of learning. Well, you know, a lot of things that that went right. Um, one bummer uh, from the weekend is that we didn't get to see Chris Windham race in the Freedom One Hundred. Yeah. Uh, I think he was impressing a lot of people internally uh, and externally with the pace he'd done and, and and really the racecraft he'd shown just in, the, in those early stages. I think the challenge though is you're almost too good out of the box, right? I mean, if you if you need to get reined in and you don't want to go over the edge and it just seemed like when the back end snapped apparently out of two, then it was just, you know, game over from there. So uh, a shame to not be able to see him in the field. That would have been good. Um, elsewhere, I think the, uh, the Lucas oil races, one, one thing I, I find pretty interesting in looking at the championship pictures is all three winners, uh, Colton Herta, Parker Thompson, Kyle Kirkwood really put their stamps on the championship this weekend. You know, I think the lights battle is a three, maybe four horse race as, as it goes forward. But in certainly in Pearl Moss and USF 2000, Parker had two race results at the Indy GP where, with an engine issue he had on Friday for that team to do a rebuild in an hour to do an engine change, uh, get him back out, get him going. That was, that was incredible. And he won the second race and then to, to follow that up. Uh, and then for Kirkwood and in, in USF to just, they, both of them are through the first through May and neither one of them has finished outside the top five all season. Thompson is three wins, two seconds, two fifths, Kirkwood, three wins, a second and a fifth. And they both have pretty big gaps where, it's going to take one or two bad results for them to kind of bring others in, into the frame. So that's uh, those were kind of my overriding thoughts. But uh, really impressive job for those guys that they've uh, they've established themselves as, as front runners heading into the second 
I don't want to call it second half, but really kind of the summer stretch. True enough. And you know, the, the the thing about that too is when you start having that kind of success and that kind of consistency, that's when you that's when the team starts coming together. That's when Nicholas and Dominic Cape and the crew even rally behind Kirkwood even more. You, you know that those guys are just absolutely hungry for every race win. They want their drivers to be 100% on the throttle going out of the out of the paddock. They want them to be 100% on on it coming in. There's no rest time for the guys at Cape, and I think Kyle's kind of bought into their culture, which I think is massive. And, you know, Kyle, uh, rather uh, Michael Duncalf's doing the same thing at, at his uh, exclusive auto sports crew, you know, supporting his drivers the best he can. He's got some great people brought Tim Lewis on. I just think there's a lot of momentum for both of those guys heading to road America. Now, you know what, let's cap off this new debrief race report kind of uh, edition of the, the road to Indy insider uh, with a look, maybe well, just because the 500 was there, I feel we should probably talk about it. And maybe the way we, I like the fact that let's, let's look at some of the, the Indy Lights graduates, you know, and let's, let's say how they did again, talking with Tony DeZeno from TSO ladder and trackside online, Tony, you look at a guy first, first and foremost, like Kyle Kaiser, uh, who of course won the Indy Lights championship last year, an issue with the mechanical, uh, takes him out of the race early. But I think if, if he sits back and takes a deep breath and says, wow, you know what? I qualified my Unko's car right in the middle of the pack. No issues whatsoever with bump day. All in all, just a really solid overall performance for Kyle. I, I was so impressed with his temperament and just he didn't he didn't get too high or too low at any opportunity. Yeah. He didn't he didn't let the stress if he had any show. You know, I talked to him after qualifying on Saturdays just or, or Sunday morning. He said, Yeah, this is the first time I've slept in a month. So <laughs> you're not showing it, man. I mean, it, the only the it, literally the only mistake he made was going too fast on his warm up lap and qualifying on Sunday. He actually had the fastest warm up lap of anybody on Sunday which meant that the tires went off faster, but he still put four two twenty six laps together and was, you know, middle of the sixth row. So, you know, 17th and to be disappointed with a run that's that high up the grid and ahead of, you know, Rossi, Ray Hall, really all the whole Ray Hall team, et cetera. That was really yeah. just a really impressive run by, you know, not just Kyle, but the whole group that the Ricardos assembled there, Tom Brown, uh, Darren Krauser, among others. It's a, it's a really solid organization. Agreed. I was, I was very happy for Kyle. Again, just a little issue in, in the pits early where he uh, overcooked it and, and got into one of his, his crew members. That was a drive-through penalty. Then again, out early with the mechanical. Then we go to guys like uh, Ed Jones had, had a, you know, had a decent run goal. Not, not a, a fantastic month, but then had the issue with the car uh, looping around on him. That obviously is a, is a bit of an issue, Tony, that we can probably touch on. It just, in my mind, having absorbed it for the last couple of days, it just seemed like there's just a little bit more needed for the oval package. That's that's my thought, that they just need to add maybe a little bit more rear downforce, a little more front downforce, maybe just a little more usable adjustments. Now, there's, a, there's a certain amount of adjustments been talking to the engineers that I have, and I'm sure you've done the same thing. Of that big sweeping spectrum of adjustment on the front wing and the rear wing, there's only really so much usable in the middle of that window. Yep. And it's interesting. I think we all talked about kind of how much lighter and how many fewer pounds of downforce there would be available this year. I think that the issue is more the the adjustability. The the rear wing really only had two or three uh, workable points, I think, all month. So that was, you know, not, it wasn't, there were a few people that were less than thrilled with kind of the, the usability of it, I guess. But I don't know. I didn't have too big a problem with the race itself. I thought it rewarded track position. It rewarded clean air. And it rewarded, really, if you look at the top 10 finishers, it was there are no weak links in that. I think there was a really strong 
just just overall presence. And really, it was a shame none of the the whites grads got a top ten out of it. I thought Mateus Lace did an excellent job all month. Um, I was really. He also lost two days of practice. He had a couple of electrical issues that, that put him back a little ways. But uh, you know, we've never we've never accused Lace of being shy or being non aggressive. <laughs> so his qualifying run was was pretty pretty awesome. It, it endeared himself to the old man. Uh, Zachary Clayman DeMello. I mean, good yeah. lord, that guy was the unheralded story of the month. Pretty much, you know, from no not planning to be in the race to qualifying first, you know, out on Saturday, not having any issues smart qualified 13th i mean got put in the front on strategy almost had a top 10 without a splash of fuel there late in the race and i know, I, was know. Just, I was just watching this thinking to myself it, all all the while while just you know zcd is his own man and it is, it is <laughs> you know you, you, you see the hoodie you see the the hat on backwards he's rarely wearing sunglasses and it is so refreshing to see someone just that comfortable with themselves and, and their swagger I, I talked to his engineer michael cannon a lot and he was he was impressed. You know, like he had to take he had to bring him down a little bit to say, "Hey, here's some things we can do to, to help you." But he rewarded their faith in, in putting him in the car because I, I think there was some question mark whether he was really ready for the opportunity, and I think he maximized it. I, you know, it, it, for me, it's interesting because, of course, he wasn't going to run the Indy GP either. That was going to be Pietro Fittipaldi, and, and of course, the 500. And then when I had talked to, to to Zach after qualifying for the GP, right after missing, I think he missed the Fast 12. Uh, I said, what's wrong? What do you know? He had no idea. He says, I don't know. We're just, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. He was actually just actually just at a total loss for why there wasn't any speed. He goes, I'm just not fast right now. And then you kind of watch the momentum pick up over the month because he had a pretty solid race in the GP. And then, like you said, rolls in and good speed and then qualifies well. And then, you know, ends up having a really enjoyable Indianapolis 500. A top 10 would have been amazing. But like you said, with some strategy play at one point, you know, we're thinking, hey, we're going to be talking about Clayman DeMello potentially rolling the dice here and trying to make something happen. I think, and that that would never be a surprise coming from Coin, but the storyline that, that Zach helped play out, I think was just one of the really high, highlights of the event itself. This was what I really appreciated about the whole Indy 500 Rookie of the Year battle this year was it was a true battle there was no none of the four was that far superior to the other ones and none of them lagged behind at any point in the month i mean that was it was a you could have made a case for any of the four whether it was you know your boy robbie wickens who you've known since yep. he was in diapers i'm sure um <laughs> <Pretty much>. lace <laughs> ccd kaiser i mean this was uh, along with some of the other recent grads you mentioned jones spencer piggott had an excellent month going until race day unfortunately had a, a pit road uh, speeding violation dropped back to I think 15th or 20th something like that not not representative of how strong he was this month there is a definite changing of the guard that has kind of occurred over the last two to three years and I think you look at the the it's at least a third if not closer to half of the field are recent Maserati Road Indy presented by Cooper Tires graduates I think it was 25 out of 33 total yep. in the field something like yep. that there's it it shows that you know to to bring it all full circle when you're when you're watching those Lucas Oil Raceway and Freedom shows you're very likely watching people that you know will be stars on Sundays, and that's what I like about it. You know, it, it's almost like going to uh, the Super Bowl or the World Series, and the Friday before the Game Seven, you get to watch a single leg ball game, a d- double A and a triple A ball game right there. And I think mm-hmm. that's 
that's the thing I love about the Road to Indy. If if anybody is a fan of the Verizon IndyCar series and are just hardcore Indy fanatics, come to one of these races, pay attention to USF 2000, pick a driver and follow that driver for the next five or six years. You're going to develop such a connection. Uh, you're going to get a chance to meet them quite easily. Uh, we already know that how easy it is to, to connect with the, in the IndyCar drivers in the paddock, but to be able to have that kind of a, a lifelong connect, a collect, uh, connection, a career long, if you will, where you're following a kid, a young man or a young woman up the ranks, I, I think it's just such a, an incredible opportunity to be able to get even that much closer, to be able to round out, make even, making your IndyCar experience even more full. So, Tony, that's it. Uh, you know what? Thank you for joining me on the first uh, race report slash debrief slash breakdown slash whatever we want to call it here on the <laughs> Road to Indy Insider Podcast. Yeah, of course, Rob. It's a pleasure. Um, yeah, that's like I said, it's the beauty of this is there's there's no shortage of things to discuss. And um, yeah, hope hope we did a good job and do it again. You did a great job. Weekend off for me. Uh, I'm actually going to be listening to IndyCar Radio this coming weekend to listen to the race. I'm uh, I'm off to a karting event the week after. My next Road to Indy race is uh, in Road America. How about you? What's on your schedule? I'm at Detroit uh, this weekend for that. Then I have a weekend home. Um, then I'm off to Le Mans for the 24 hours for uh, my yes, guy. So my primary <laughs> sports car, you know, basically with my Fernando Alonso, Juan Montoya, Jensen Button stocking. <laughs> screw, screw, screw that! I'm going for Will Owen, folks. Will Owen is. That's the real reason why I'm going there because Will, um, nice. Will, Will was top five in the race overall last year and then Road America at the end of the month. So, so yeah. Well, listen, let's uh, let's give you guys the opportunity to talk about TSO Ladder very quickly. Give us a little bit of a rundown. Give us the link because uh, it's one of the things and I, you know, I've talked about Steve Wittick and Patrick Stefford and the whole crew over there yourself that it's I love it because as a journalist. So if you're a race fan, trust me, I'm a journalist. I'm a media guy. I'm on the radio. And to get the, not only look at the website itself, but the follow it on Twitter and what you guys do on social media, but then to get the email blast, I, you know, that's what I use to keep, get myself up to date. When I'm rolling into an IndyCar race weekend and I'm so busy with the road to Indy stuff, I make, I take an hour on the Saturday night before the race and I scroll through and I look at everything you guys are putting out and I just, it gets me where I need to be. So I thank you for that. But for race fans who want to, uh, to tune in, subscribe, give them some information about TSO and TSO ladder. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'd been with a couple other sites and, and outlets over the years, but Steve and Patrick had been longtime colleagues and friends. And so when the opportunity arose this year to join them for, you know, selected events, it was kind of a natural, uh, tracks it online anyway, subscription service, 22 bucks a year. Um, it's, as Rob noted, just gets you all the emails, all the insights. It's a mix of on ground live reporting, uh, a lot of insider type information, which fitting for this podcast. Uh, and then the TSO ladder presented by Cooper tire site is the compendium that does that same level of detail for all the Maserati Indy series. So every session, every event covered. So to where it was like, when there, there may only be that 15 minute gap to get from IMS yeah. to Lucas Oil Raceway. Well, it was go there, <laughs> get a bite from Subway, and then get into get in the media center and catch the last, you know, however many cars qualifying for USF. So uh, the the key for us and, and really what we try to do is. It, it, it's established those connections with guys and with drivers and teams and, and people that, that make this whole thing work. And, you know, for me, this is, and I, and I don't just say this, you know, to, to say it, but it meeting and growing with people as their careers develop has become the most rewarding part of my job. And it's something that I think I hope they appreciate because, because I love getting to, to watch this, this growth and development over as the years go on. 
So anyway, tracks that on no, the TSO ladder. Yeah, that's exactly it. That connection we all get, whether you're a media person, whether you're a fan. $22 a year, folks, to, for, for Trackside Online. So this Friday, don't go out for wings and beer. Your belly will like it, and you can subscribe to Trackside Online. It's all it takes. One, just, your wife will love it. You stay home with her for one weekend, for one night. It's perfect. Domestic public relations is a good thing. That's, that's it. Tony DeZeno, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. I appreciate it. Of course, it. Rob. Thank you. Once again, folks, Tony DeZeno, one of the most respected journalists in the sport, working for Trackside Online and TSO Ladder. That wraps up our first race report edition of the Road to Indy Insider podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. My name's Rob Howden. 